You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Something magic happens Every time you go You make the magic happen The magic of Orioles baseball When the game is Welcome everybody to the Throwback League Sweet 16 Battle in Charm City, Baltimore, Maryland on a sultry summer night. This is the game with the two Spider-Mans staring at each other, pointed their web-tipped fingers right at each other. The 79 Orioles have advanced to this Sweet 16 game, but up against the 83 Orioles, meaning the lineups will have a little overlay. Josh Lewin with you. Uh, the managers are different. Earl Weaver against his replacement, Joel Tugelli. And uh, we have made sure that it's not the same guy on the mound both ways. Dennis Martinez for the 79 team. Scott Greger for the 83 team. A couple of great curveball guys. In this game at Memorial Stadium, the 79 version is in the visitors' dugout. And they've got Singleton, Murray, and Dempsey in their lineup. So does the home team as well. So let's do our best to compartmentalize the two Orioles ball clubs, one of which won a World Series. One of them lost a tough one in seven. Well, let's start with the losers in seven. The 79 Orioles, they have the Orioles magic, recalled off the top by our pregame analyst to our former Orioles announcer, Hall of Famer John Miller. 1979 was the year that everything changed in Baltimore. Um, the Orioles had a hard time drawing even a million fans. Uh, they uh, had drawn maybe a million, two, million, three at, at the best of times in their history at Memorial Stadium. But everybody got so excited in that 1979 season, uh, they started calling it Oriole Magic. And while Bill Hagee, the Baltimore cab driver, would lead cheers and they, they would spell out the word Orioles from the stands and he'd get the whole ballpark uh, doing this sort of thing. And uh, they drew almost a million point seven, which they thought could never happen in Baltimore. So uh, that was the, the really the, the blossoming of that team that all really came together in a big way. Mike Flanagan was the Cy Young Award winner. Scott McGregor was a big winner. Uh, Jim Palmer was still there. Dennis Martinez. Great four-man rotation. Uh, one of the last teams ever to, to work that way. And, uh, and yet the, the bitter disappointment that they were not able to hold on to beat the Pirates in 79. Very similar, all too similar if you're Earl Weaver, to what happened against the Pirates in 71. Thanks, John. The 79 Orioles lived up to Weaver's oft-quoted preference for pitching defense and the three-run home run. Burns finishing only eighth in run scored in the American League, 11th in batting average. 
But they set a team record with 181 home runs. They were the masters of five runs on five hits. That's what they did. And not even in the heyday of Palmer, McNally, Cuellar did they dominate the league pitching-wise like they did in 79. TBRA 3.26. Next best was the Yankees at 383. Not even injuries to Palmer and McGregor could derail that rotation. Flanagan 16-4 starting in the middle of June had two ERA his last 11 starts, six complete games in there as well. The lefty won the Cy Young Award, finished up 23-9. and nine. But what they had most of all, the song they, they wrote to explain it, that Orioles magic. Every single night, Lowenstein, Renegade, DeSensei, Murray, Lee May, somebody stepped up and won him a ball game. They took a two-game lead into the All-Star break. They won 15 out of 17 soon after that stretcher lead out to 12 and a half games. On to the ALCS against the then California Angels. They were tied 3-3 in game one. Bottom of the 10th, John Lowenstein called on a pinch hit for the blade. Mark Belanger, brother Lowe, delivered with a three-run home run over that padded green wall. The team is splitting the two games after that, but Scotty McGregor removing any doubt. It's a six-hit shutout to wrap it up the best-of-five series the very next day. So for the second time in the decade, Orioles and Pirates in the World Series, and the results, very similar. Uh, three games to one lead once again for the Orioles. Had home field advantage, couldn't hang on. They lost their bid for that world title. Uh, the Orioles got off to a great start. They knocked out Bruce Keeson with a five-run first inning in game one. But after that, boy, the Pirates bullpen was just great. The Pirates who scored four runs off Mike Flanagan went the distance for a 5-4 victory in game one. Game two was 2-2 in the ninth. Manny Sanguian with the RBI single to give Pittsburgh the lead. Kent Colby was on to, to save it. He was great in that series. Which went to Pittsburgh for game three. He got a five-run fifth for the Orioles in that game. They won that 8-4. Steele Garcia, the shortstop, the big game. A game four, the Orioles trailed until the eighth. They got six runs in, one at nine to six. So the O's were leading the series three to one going in home. Seemed like a fait accompli. Game five, the Pirates over the Orioles seven to one. Jim Rooker, Bert Blylevin teaming up for a six-hitter game six. John Candelaria and uh, Kent Tacovi shut the Orioles out for nothing to force the game seven. And in that winner take all, the Orioles could manage, but one run off four different Pirate pitchers. Willie Stargell had the two-run home run. They added two more in the ninth for insurance. So didn't quite turn out like the Orioles had hoped, but they did make major gains in attendance, that's for sure. They drew 1.7 million for 72 home dates. One scheduled doubleheader in there, eight rainouts. And as uh, Counting Crows sang years later, it's raining in Baltimore, baby. Everything else is the same. But the uh, community in uh, Maryland had certainly awakened to a certain love and unity, a very firm bond with the team established that very year. The lineup for Earl Weaver's 79 team tonight, the visiting team at Memorial Stadium. Al Bumbry leads it off in center. Doug DeSensei is at third. Ken Singleton follows. And then Gary Renneke. Eddie Murray at first. Lee May, the DH. Mark Belanger at short. Rich Dower is at second. Rick Dempsey is the catcher, batting number nine in support of Dennis Martinez. So as for 83, 
go to that edition of the Orioles who went to the World Series with a three games to one win over the White Sox and the ALCS. And the White Sox were a pretty drama-filled club. Tony La Russa had feuded with the broadcaster Jimmy Pearsall years earlier. And, uh, well, here's Tony La Russa in charge now, trying to kickstart the franchise, and they did that. This was the winning, ugly White Sox. They won 99 games, but uh, could not get it done in the ALCS against the Orioles. Baltimore then over Philly in a five-game World Series led by the 22-year-old AL MVP, Cal Ripken Jr. And it's often forgotten that Cal's one World Series title was not with Earl Weaver at the helm. Weaver famously retiring after the O's lost to Milwaukee the last day of the 82 season. But Joe Altabelli was the guy that took over for 83, led Baltimore to a title in his very first season. Jim Palmer, a year after, almost winning a Cy Young, struggled with injuries all year, didn't pitch in the ALCS, did come on in relief of Game 4 of the World Series and actually got a win. Orioles losing the first game of that series to the Phillies, but then four in a row and to date their most recent championship. We mentioned Cal was the MVP. Cy Young was Lamar Hoyt in uh, the American League. John Denny won it for the Phillies in the National League. Ron Kittle. Rookie of the Year in the AL with Daryl Strawberry of the Mets in the National League. In 1983, a fun, kind of weird season in baseball. The Pine Tar game is a classic. George Brett, Billy Martin, both part of that. And uh, even crazier maybe than, than that in 83. Maybe not as well remembered because there's no video of the incident. But Dave Winfield arrested in Toronto for accidentally hitting a bird with a baseball. That was just a few weeks after the Pine Star game, and the Yankees were in the middle of it playing at Exhibition Stadium, fifth inning, Yankees leading 3-1. Winfield playing catch with the bad boy. A seagull landed in between them. Winfield's throw accidentally hit the bird and killed it. Uh, it was it was an accident. It really was. The fans were furious and yada, yada, yada. Uh, oh, there was an incident. Billy Martin told the story because he was uh, Winfield's manager for the Yankees. He said very dryly, that's the first time Winfield's hit the cutoff man all year. Anyway, here in 83 for the Orioles, the lineup for them tonight with Alto, Joe Altabelli handing in the lineup card. John T-Bone Shelby is in center field, Ken Singleton DHing. Murray's at first, Ripken at short, John Lowenstein in left, Disco Danny Ford in right, Rick Dempsey catching for both teams. He's batting seventh, Todd Cruz at third, and Len two ends Sakata, the Hawaiian second baseman, batting number nine. On the mound, it will be Scotty McGregor, wearing number 16 and a mustache, 138 big league wins, 18 of them this year against just seven losses, 3.180 RA, second on the team behind the 25-year-old Mike Boddicker. Born and raised in Southern California, El Segundo High with George Brett, who's a year ahead of him. Uh, the 14th overall selection in the 72 draft in the Yankees organization was McGregor until June of 76. Part of a 10-player deal with the Orioles. American League All-Star in 81. He won 20 games in 1980, but that was the same year as his teammate Steve Stone won more than that and grabbed the Cy Young Award. Finesse pitcher, great curveball. Gives up a share of hits, but doesn't walk many people. And in the 83 postseason, McGregor allowing only two runs in the openers of the ALCS and World Series, but lost both games by scores of 2-1 to one to the White Sox and the Phillies, respectively. But Game 5 of the World Series shut the Phillies out, a complete game to end it four games to one. He remained a starting pitcher for the Orioles for the next five seasons, made his final appearance in 88, went on to work as a youth pastor for five years, heading up a church 
in Dover, Delaware. So here come the 79 Orioles. Al Bumbry is in there, left-hand batter. 285 hitter, seven home runs. Also a war veteran. Solid outfielder for over a decade for the O's, and he did what he did after having his career interrupted by serving in Vietnam. He takes a strike. We are underway. The old ballpark on 33rd Street. The Orioles winning the 83 World Series towards the end of Bunbury's career. Nice achievement to send him off. Look at Bunbury of the Orioles of the 70s and 80s and then compare to a guy like Melvin Mora. He never played on a winning Orioles team. Bunbury never played on a losing one. Taking low here, it's one and one. Yeah, the fewest games the Orioles won during Bunbury's career was 85. And you don't have to look far down the franchise leaderboard to find him. Ninth in games, ninth in hits, third in triples behind Brooks Robinson and Brady Anderson. Third all-time in stolen bases. And he pegs this one in right field. That's a base hit. Dan Ford is up with it, gets it back in. But Bumbry is on and certainly a threat to run. No score in the top of the first. Here is Doug DeSensei, 230 batter, 16 home runs, 61 batted in. 1977, his third full season with the team. That's when Brooks Robinson retired and DeSensei took over. And if he felt any pressure, he didn't really show it. He hit 259 that year, no slouch in the field. The following year would be the best of DeSensei's Orioles career with 28 home runs. Check of the runner. McGregor ready, and Bunbury's running. The pitch is low. The throw from Dempsey is not in time. Al Bunbury, the stolen base. The runner at second. Nobody out for DeSensei now. And maybe the single moment that defines DeSensei's Orioles career came this June of 79. June 22nd, the Orioles were playing the Tigers. Two outs, runner on. The Orioles down a run. He crushed a home run to end the game. Made a six-game winning streak into seven. The O's were in first place when that happened, but that's the homer that is said to have kicked off the whole Orioles magic thing. That's when they wrote the song and started really believing in that. The pitch coming in low, it's 2-0. It'll be after the strike-shortened 81 season, in which Desensei had another very good year at the plate. The O's will trade him to the Angels for Dan Ford, who's currently standing in right field well off the line. Didn't need to sensei anymore with Cal Ripken coming up. Pitch coming. Fly ball towards center field. T-Bone Shelby retreating. He'll get there. And he makes the catch, but Bunbury tags. He'll scoot to third. Makes it without a throw. So a runner at third. Just one out in the top of the first inning. Great RBI chance for a great RBI man. The switch hitting Ken Singleton. Highest batting average on the 79 Orioles at 295. Yeah, the Orioles won a pennant without a 300 hitter. Well, except for the pinch hitter Terry Crowley, who hit 317, but in only 63 at bats. Other than that, not a single 300 hitter on a pennant winning team. Pitch to Singleton in for a strike, nothing, and one. 35 home runs, 111 runs batted in for Singy. Probably should have won the MVP, but his old buddy and teammate Don Baylor got it with the Angels instead. 10-year Orioles career, more than 6,000 plate appearances for Singleton, wearing the Orioles bird, the cartoon bird. Great on-base percentage. He walked more than 100 times three different uh, seasons. 
also is in the 90s three times as well. Taking here outside, it's one and one. Long Island native. Orioles' career beginning when the team cashed in at the end of Dave McNally's career, Dalton to Montreal, where Singleton had come up. Next pitch, curveball, flipped in for a strike. It's one and two. That's the thing about McGregor. Three pitchers thrown at three distinctly different speeds, but with the same kind of odd across-the-body motion. 86-mile-an-hour fastball is all he's got, but that 73-mile-an-hour changeup and a mid-60s curve, the one that Singleton just saw. One and two the count. Outfield deep, forward and right. Shelby in center, Lowenstein in left. Here's the pitch. Swing and a missed strike three at that big looping curveball. Big second out. Bumbry still at third. And now it's up to the right hand hitting Gary Renicky, wearing number 35 on his back. Renicky a 261 a hitter. 25 home runs, 64 runs batted in. And against the lefty McGregor, he gets his chance here, the right-hand bat. Bumbry down the line at third. And the pitch coming. It's swung on, rolled on the ground to short. Ripken's got it. And young Cal Ripken Jr. guides it across to first in time. The inning is over. No runs, one hit, one left. It's the middle of the first. The 79 Orioles nothing. The 83 Orioles coming up. Let's keep it in 1979 and pause for this. To everybody who puts in a hard day's work. This Bud's for you. This Bud's for you. There's no one else who does it quite the way you do. So here's to you. You know it isn't only what you say, it's what you do. This Bud's for you. Just for you, that distinctively clean, crisp taste that says Budweiser. Hey, this Bud's for you. No score, bottom of the first coming up. And may we suggest you try out our good friends at Coffee, Bean, and Tea Leaves. Next time you've got the hankering for coffee and or tea. Most perfectly blended coffee on either side of the, of the United States of America. And since 1963... The Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world. With responsibly sourced ingredients, handcrafted coffees and teas, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf truly an experience like no other. El Presidente on the mound. It's Dennis Martinez for the 79 Orioles. It was in 79 that Ken Singleton gave him that nickname. 245 big league wins that stood for more than 20 years as the most by any Latino pitcher, two ahead of Juan Marichal. Bartolo Colon would eventually break that record. But this is a guy with a perfect game. Did that in 1991. Came up in the Orioles organization. Great year at AAA Rochester in 76. But there were some warning signs. Some bad nighttime habits. He enjoyed the party life, which, yes, you can find in Rochester if you look hard enough. But up he came compared to Mark Fidrich of the Tigers, who was having that great rookie year for Detroit. Similar styles, keeping the ball down. Great sinking fastballs. Wayne Garland, who won 20 for the Orioles in 76, moved on, signed the big free agent contract with the Indians. So that's why 
Dennis Martinez had a good chance to crack the rotation in 77. Ended up as a swingman instead, but before too long in the rotation for good in 78, along with the guy he's up against tonight, Scott McGregor. We should mention in 79, Dennis Martinez led the league in starts. He had 39 of them. 18 complete games, close to 300 innings pitched. Through all that, though, he had a losing record. 15 and 16 with a decent ERA of 3.66. The switch hitting, John Shelby is ready. Bunch of switch hitters right at the top of the lineup here for Joe Altabelli. Shelby, a 258 batter with five home runs and the pitch to him, a strike. It's 0 and 1 from El Presidente. Now, the 83 Orioles, the home team, they're in the white uniforms with the orange and black trim. Visiting Orioles, 79, they're going with the orange tops to gray pants. Both teams, when you look at the hats, it's the black on the sides, the orange bill, and the white middle of the cap with the, the smiling Oriole bird just kind of leering out at you. Pitch is high, it's one and one. Defensively, the 79 Orioles stack up like this. It is Renicky in left, Singleton in right, Bumbry in center. Round the horn, third to first, they will go to Sensei, Belanger, Dower, and Murray. Rick Dempsey is behind the plate. Pitch fouled at the plate here. It's one and two. Now, truth be told, Dennis Martinez doesn't love pitching to Rick Dempsey. Loved a guy named Dave Skaggs back there, but for this one tonight, might as well get the Demper in there. Rick Dempsey will set up shop on the outside corner. Here's the pitch. Hit on the ground towards second base for Rich Dower. On the third hop, he's got it. Fires to first. And there's your out of Shelby. One away. Here comes Ken Singleton. 36 years old in 83. The switch hitter struck out in the top of the first inning. Now he'll turn around bat the other way against Dennis Martinez. And the pitch to Singleton is fired high. It's 1-0. 1,446 games played eventually as an Oriole by Ken Singleton. 1,455 hits, sixth most. That's better than a, a hit per game for Singleton. Ooh, and he's drilled here. This one coming in, hits him in the shoulder. El Presidente leaves his mark. And Singleton, no worse for the wear. He'll trot on down to first. And in a scoreless game, here's Eddie Murray, the third straight switch hitter out there. 306 batter here in 83, 33 home runs, 111 runs batted in. Now, sometimes the really great ones don't need a whole lot of seasoning. Eddie Murray made the opening day roster in 77 at age 21. Never looked back. One of six Orioles to win a rookie of the year. He takes outside, it's 1 0. That rookie of the year season on the strength of a 283 batting average, 29 doubles, 27 home runs for steady Eddie Murray, L.A. native. Future Hall of Famer who bangs one in the center field here. That's a base hit. And Singleton stops at second as Bumbry flips it back in. Two on for Cal Ripken Jr. 22 years old. 318 hitter, 27 homers, 102 batted in. That's good enough for MVP in 83. And of course, Cal will become most famous for just showing up 2,632 games in a row. And during the streak, 
Not only did uh, no other player manage to play in a similar amount of consecutive games, no other player even stayed with the same team in that time. Pitchy is in for a strike. It's nothing in one. During the streak, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went up 7,000 points. 835 episodes of 60 minutes in that time. And if you dared to suggest the streak stop, the baseball gods would get you. Ask Ken Rosenthal, who was writing for the Baltimore Sun then. He wrote a piece that Ripken should retire the streak for the good of the team. Two days later, true story, Cal Ripken fouled the ball into the press box and destroyed Ken Rosenthal's computer. Pitch is low. It's one and one. No score here in the last of the first inning in Baltimore. During Cal's streak, the Orioles changed their manager eight times. They changed the logo on their cap three times. Through it all, Cal Ripken, a 19-time All-Star, two-time AL MVP. Next delivery. Hit on the ground towards second. Dower's got it. Little bobble goes to short, and that's all we're going to get. Belanger on the bag. That little bobble might have cost him a chance at a double play. It's now two out. And John Lowenstein batting. Left-hander, a 281 average here in 83, 15 home runs. Curly-headed outfielder wearing number 38. It's funny, Gary Renicki and John Lowenstein bringing different talents to the baseball field, but in the late 70s, early 80s, they both flourished in that platoon situation. Pitch in there for a strike, it's nothing in one. December 77 is when Renicki came to the Orioles in a trade with the Expos. That was uh, with Joe Kerrigan and Don Stanhouse. Lowenstein became an Oriole about a year later. Orioles claiming him off waivers from the Texas Rangers. Pitch coming in. Swing high. Pop fly. That'll stay right above home plate. Rick Dempsey sheds the mask. Maneuvers a bit up the third baseline. He makes the catch. And that retires the side. So... Neither team can score here in the first inning off that foul out to Dempsey. The 83 Orioles are turned away, and as we break, let's keep it in 1983. Let you turn things on or off from anywhere in the room. Just plug in the clapper and the television, lamp, stereo, almost anything you want to clap on and off. Clap on. Osco, Perry, Woolworth, and participating Ace, True Value, and HWI. No score. It's the Joe Altabelli Orioles against the Earl Weaver Orioles. Now, of course, Jim Palmer playing for both guys and never really had any issues with Alto, but my goodness, there was a book written by Jim Palmer on his relationship with the Earl of Baltimore. Was it always that way? Was it really as bad as it was made out to be? Talk to the greatest pitcher in Orioles history, Jim Palmer. 19-year major league career, spent entirely in Baltimore. Pose that question to him. What was the real deal with you and Earl? I wrote a book uh, during the baseball strike. Uh, together we were 11 foot nine because I was 6'3 and 5'6. Right. But Earl made my life difficult. He didn't believe in shaking your hand after a win because he would tell you, well, what am I going to do when you lose? I said, well, how about patting me on the shoulder? Forget the rear end, because I did underwear ads. And, and I said, just tell me to do better the next time. Uh, but when Earl was eligible to go into the Hall of Fame, I wrote a letter to the, um, you know, to the Veterans Committee. And, you know, they changed. I mean, Earl used to start the game on the road 
uh, with a pinch hitter. Uh, you know, Royal Stillman was our right fielder. He would be our shortstop. He'd pinch hit in the first inning, and then they put Belanger in for defense, and they changed the rule because you have to assume a defensive uh, position in the first inning. So, you know, and then he was the first guy. You know, we talk about all the analytics now and all the numbers. Earl had the Weaver stats, so he was very aware of what won. He may not remember exactly when they happened, but he knew, you know, Craig Nettles was, uh, you know, uh, two for 23 off Tippy Martinez, even though I would tell him, that, well, he was two for two and he was 0 for 21. So what's the current numbers? But right. the bottom line, Earl gave me um, the ball every fourth day. And we had we had a, you know, love-hate relationship because um, he, he wanted me to be perfect and as good as I was, I, I wasn't perfect. And the other thing is, you know, I just respected the fact that, that he respected that every fourth day I was going to give the club a chance to win. And I played on, as you know, some great ball clubs. Really so good. that's that's how we both ended up in the Hall of Fame. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you like play for Earl Weaver because he was a winner. Thanks to Jim Palmer very much for checking in. We're going to hear from another Orioles pitcher of this era later in the broadcast. Steve Stone will stop by. But let's move ahead to further action. No score. Let's take you to the bottom of the second. The 83 Orioles strike first. Disco Danny Ford hits one over that padded wall in right field to make it a 1-0 lead for the 83 Orioles. Stayed that way till the top of the fourth. Ken Singleton a walk. Renicky struck out, but then Eddie Murray blasting a two-run home run basically to dead center. The 79 team goes up 2-1 before the best friend of Eddie Murray, Cal Ripken Jr., will tie it in the bottom of the sixth. It is a 2-2 game heading into the seventh inning. Rick Dempsey leads off the bottom of the seventh. The 83 Orioles, that is. Single in the left center field. Todd Cruz strikes out, but Len Sakata, bottom of the order, able to roll a single in the left. T-Bone Shelby up next, and he'll fire one in the center, a base hit that chases Dennis Martinez, bringing on Tippy Martinez. And even though Tippy once had an inning where he picked off all three runners on base against him in a weird situation, no pickoffs here. He simply got out of the inning from there. 3-2 was the score at that point. And it would stay that way into the top of the eighth. However, the 79 Orioles able to get right to it after he dug the Cincy strikeout. Ken Singleton a single. And Gary Renicky blasting away with a home run. So the 79 team toddles on top 4-3. to three. That's it for Scotty McGregor. On comes Sammy Stewart to get out of it from there. 4-3 game into the bottom of the eighth. Cal Ripken single to right center. John Lowenstein reaches on a fielder's choice. Ripken erased. Ford singles in a right field, having a nice game. Dempsey flies out, but then Todd Cruz comes through with a base hit. Blooped in a right. That makes it a 4-4 game. Tim Stoddard on for Tippy Martinez at that point. The uh, 83 Orioles would actually load the bases in the bottom of the ninth, but fail to score. So we have bonus baseball, a scoreless 10th inning, nothing really happening either way. And as we get ready for the 11th inning, it's now Sammy Stewart against Sammy Stewart in this game of all things with Rick Dempsey behind the plate for both Sammy Stewart's. Wanted to talk more about the 79 team a little bit. Steve Stone would have the Cy Young win in 1980, but 79, he was certainly a part of it. And that was the team that he remembers as being the most together team he had ever been on. It was a very close team in 1979, and I think uh, I was uh, very close to Eddie Murray. Uh, I remember going out with him quite a few times to have dinner. Uh, I thought Eddie was always um, miscast by the media. 
Eddie was a really good guy and a smart guy and a thoughtful guy, and he was really interesting to talk to. And uh, so, plus, Eddie's family uh, made ribs. And every time we went to play Anaheim, uh, it was uh, it was probably the second day in, maybe, when uh, they brought ribs for the whole clubhouse, and it was just outstanding. So that was that was one of the things. Uh, but but I think that the um, the pitching staff was very close. Uh, McGregor was a terrific guy. Dennis Martinez was a, a young pitcher who went on to win 245 games. Uh, I think that um, I think it was a very professional team. I think they understood how to win. I think as a group, we felt we actually won despite Earl. That was our thought process at the time. It was everybody united kind of against Earl. And then I think as we got a little bit away from it, we realized just what a wonderful manager, what a skilled manager he really was, getting the most out of each individual on that team. So you had you had leaders in a lot of different areas. I, I think um, uh, leaders come in different shapes and sizes. I, I think if you have uh, a leader for the black players, it would be Lee May, who was a wonderful guy, went out and just played every day, played hurt, really showed Eddie Murray and everybody else on that team what it was like to be a professional. Um, some of the leaders for um, the Caucasian players, uh, uh, Mark Belanger was one of those guys that was a leader. And strangely enough, we had a guy who was a pinch hitter who was one of those leaders, Terry Crowley. And I think for the Latino players, and we had – a uh, few of them certainly. It was Elrod Hendricks who was the bullpen coach. And to a man, when you got to Baltimore, if you didn't come up through their system, they explained to you in the early going that this is a team of professional winners. Uh, the exact quote was, we don't score early and we don't score often, but if you hold us close, you'll win more games than you ever dreamt in your life. And that's exactly what happened. That was imparted to me by Terry Crowley and Mark Belanger after we gave up 47 runs in one one uh, series against uh, Milwaukee in April. I was shaking my head. 47 runs in a three-game series, a lot of runs to give up. And he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, 47 runs. He goes, you worried about that? He says, let me tell you something. We come back here twice. We come back at the end of June. We come back at the beginning of September. And as long as you're wearing that, and he pointed to the Baltimore across my chest, he says, as long as you're wearing that, he said, understand something. Nobody hits our pitching after June 1st. Nobody. He said, we'll come back and we'll beat the hell out of this team. That's exactly what happened. So to a man, they knew their job. They knew what it was like to be a Baltimore Oriole. They knew what it took to stay there. They knew what it took to get there. And that was the most professional group I had ever been around in my life. Not the most talented, but the most professional. Well, great stuff from Steve Stone. Just asked him to talk a little bit. He talked a lot because he's got such great memories of 79. So let's get back to action here. It's a 4-4 game going into the bottom of the 11th inning. Sammy Stewart on the mound. And Al Bunbury, who had pinch run for Singleton earlier, flies out to Gary Renicky. so there's one out. Sammy Stewart on the mound. Here comes Eddie Murray. And how often do we hear about doubles power or home run power that's supposed to develop as a player matures? 
Eddie Murray came on with all that right out of the box. He had at least 20 doubles in all of his 12 full seasons as an Oriole, 12 or more home runs in 11 of the 12, even that strike short in 1981. He takes here outside from Stewart 1-0. Well, from a brilliant rookie year, he became one of the best hitters in the AL for a decade or more. Over the next eight seasons, he had MVP award votes every season, never finished lower than 11. He would actually have a streak of top five for five years in a row, runner-up twice, taking high, it's 2-0. This 1983 season, he finished second in the balloting to his own teammate and good buddy Cal Ripken. And he homered twice in the clinching game five in Philly. He had been two for 16 in the series, but then he crushed a couple of Charlie Hudson breaking balls and the right field bleachers at the vet. Next pitch from Stewart, outside, 3-0. Look at that five-year stretch of top five MVP finishes for Eddie Murray. He had a combined 304, averaged 107 runs batted in. Got walked intentionally 78 times over those five years. 25 times alone in 84. Pitch from Stewart. Bending outside. So here's a walk. That's ball four. Winning man is on. And here is Cal Ripken. Who made his big league debut as of all things a pinch runner. This is a guy with 36 steals in 21 years. But that's where it all started. He pinch ran for Ken Singleton. August 10th of 81. He was 20 years old. He had a full head of hair. And just to put in perspective how long ago that was, the hit song on the radio at that time, Endless Love, sung by Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. And titter if you want to, but in Baltimore, a more appropriate lyric could not be invented when it comes to how they feel about Cal Ripken and how they always will. Endless Love. Actually, the other hot song that month was Jesse's Girl, but I, I really I couldn't make that work. Pitch is outside. It's 1-0. and So five straight out of the zone from Sammy Stewart. Cal Ripken has mentioned how as a younger player he'd sit on the back of the bus and listen to the aging veterans and he was taken with how bitter a lot of their words were. So many would-haves and should-haves. Cal, on the other hand, will leave the game completely fulfilled. And in the end, it'll be the Ironman streak that'll be remembered first and foremost. But Cal was told at an early age by Eddie Murray, the runner at first right now, even if you feel rotten and you know you're staring at an 0 for 4, play anyway because the other manager has no idea you're feeling lousy, and seeing you in the lineup will be enough to make his day tougher. Pitch is fouled up by the third base coach, who happens to be Cal Ripken Sr. It's one and one, a junior. And it's funny, Eddie Murray, when asked about all of what we just talked about, he said, you know where I, where I learned that little pearl of wisdom? That was from Cal Sr. Cal Sr. in the organization from 1956 to 1988. Cal Jr. from 1978 until 2001. So understand how it's been for Orioles fans. The name Cal Ripken, either senior or junior, has been in the game program that you buy for generations from 56 to 01. Here's another foul. It's one and two. Orioles took Cal Ripken Jr. out of Aberdeen High School just north of Baltimore back in the 78 draft. But they took three other players before Cal, only one of which ever made an impact in the majors. That was Larry Sheets. Orioles first picked that year a third baseman from Cincinnati named Bob Boyce. 
There were 47 players chosen ahead of Cal Ripken in that draft. 30 of them never played a day in the major leagues. As the pitch sails outside, it's two and two. In high school, Cal pitched. He played short. He had 17 strikeouts in the Class A state championship game of senior year. And it was written up in the report by Tom Giordano that Ripken actually reminded him of a young Jim Palmer. Had the best changeup Giordano had ever seen from a high school kid. Pitch is a changeup here. It's outside. It's a full count. Cal stepping out for a moment. And if you've followed Cal Ripken over the years, you'll notice he usually changes the color of his bat one year to the next. And he does that so that when he looks at a picture, he can pinpoint exactly what year it was just by the, the color or style of the bat. Pretty good indexing from Cal Ripken, who swings here, lost a fly ball towards left, but Renicki's going to move onto it. He will make the catch. So it's now one on two out, brings up Brother Lowe, John Lowenstein. And we mentioned his platoon partner, Mr. Renicki, who just made that catch, had a great 79, slugged 508 at 25 home runs. Pitch to Lowenstein is low, it's 1 and 0. But Renicki just doesn't hit right-hand pitching. Lowenstein doesn't hit left-hand pitching. Smash them together, they're one great player. Lowenstein, 79 through 81, had 35 plate appearances against lefties. That it, or, or that's it. Earl Weaver just said, you're, you're not doing it. Why would we when we've got Renicki? Pitch is outside, it's 2-0. I'm talking about 79. Brother Lowe hit the extra inning walk-off for the Orioles to win. Game one of the American League playoffs against the Angels made a great over-the-wall catch to Rob Bo Diaz of a home run in the World Series game one. Pulled the ball back in the ballpark. Pitch is in the dirt this time. Nice stop by Dempsey. It's 3-0. John Lowenstein, briefly a member of the expansion Toronto Blue Jays. Some people forget. He was traded by the Indians to the Blue Jays for Rico Cardi, reacquired in the same offseason. Next pitch is strike. It's 3-1, and one, the automatic strike, as we play here in the bottom of the 11th inning, tied at 4. We're talking about Lowenstein as an Indian. You might remember he once proclaimed himself president and general manager of the John Lowenstein Apathy Club, since no Indians followers had ever started a John Lowenstein fan club during his time with the team. Here's the pitch from Stewart. It is low again. It's ball 4, so 2 on, 2 out. Murray now the winning run at second. And here comes Dan Ford. Right-hand hitting outfielder, 280 batter, nine homers, 55 runs batted in, in 83. Originally a Minnesota twin, went to the Angels for Danny Goodwin and Ron Jackson. And three years later to the Orioles for Doug DeSensei and pitcher Jeff Schneider. The O's had actually tried to get Dan Ford previously, but... Had to wait a little bit till it finally came around. Pitch is in for a strike from Stewart. It's nothing in one. It was early in this championship season of 83 for the Orioles. Dan Ford kind of announced his arrival. Had a home run in the eighth inning, bottom of the eighth against Richard Dotson. That was to break up a no-hitter. One-nothing win against the White Sox, a team they'd move on to face in the ALCS. And Dan Ford... Pretty quiet ALCS, but then a big home run off Steve Carlton in Game 3 of the World Series. Murray, that lead from second. He's the winning run. 
Ford up against the bushy-haired native North Carolinian Sammy Stewart, two on, two out. And the pitch, and it's blooped in the left center field. It is going to get down. It's between Renneke and Bunbury. It rolls along the outfield grass. That's it. Murray scores. 5-4 final. The 83 Orioles have won it. Eddie Murray thundering around from second, and that Oriole magic of 83, not 79, prevails tonight. The walk-off winner against Sammy Stewart, who is both the winning and the losing pitcher of this crazy matchup. Final line score for the 79 Orioles, four runs, 10 hits, one error. But for the 83 Orioles, five runs, 11 hits, and no errors. McGregor, seven and a third innings, one way. Dennis Martinez, six and a third innings, the other way. Looking at Rick Dempsey, went one for four for both teams in this one. Eddie Murray, one for five with a winning run scored for the 83 team. He was three for five with two runs batted in for the losing team. Ken Singleton, a combined uh, two for seven in this game, by the way, if you're scoring along with us. And if you want to look at the box score, Go for it. It's on the website, thethrowbackleague.com, and that's where you can download all the other podcasts, look at the brackets as well. You'll see that the winner of the 97 Marlins and 88 A's will determine who the 83 Orioles will meet up with eventually. Next week, yeah, we got a five-seed hosting a nine-seed in Miami. And when that game is played out, our Elite Eight will be set. So far, seven teams have made it through to the Elite Eight. The 04 Red Sox, the 91 Twins, 86 Mets, 05 White Sox, 84 Tigers, 95 Indians, and now these 83 Orioles. So let's see. Six of seven teams still left are American League teams, have none from the 70s now, three from the 80s, two from the 90s, two from the double O's, two number one seeds still left, the 86 Mets, and 84 Tigers. But also we've got an 11 seed alive and those 95 Indians. That team featuring Eddie Murray, one of the catalysts here tonight. So congratulations to the Joe Altabelli Orioles. They have outdone the Earl Weaver Orioles. Your final once again in 11 tonight in Baltimore. The 83 O's 5, the 79 O's 4. Josh Lewin thanking you for listening. Talk to you again next time.